Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Today we're going to talk about something that I think is very important to all of our lives. We're going to talk about sacrifice. Sacrifice today, as as I'm defining it, is giving up something you love for something that you love more. It's our big idea today. I don't know who said it first. I don't know what it originated from exactly. I tried looking it up but could not figure it out. So if you find that out, uh, save me from plagiarism and help me find out who that was. Uh, But it's a simple enough idea, but it's profound if you allow it to be. Sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. We often think of sacrifice as just giving something up, but that would actually be a definition of insanity or perhaps littering. I'm not really sure. Like if you just gave up stuff for no reason, that's not really, really sacrifice. That's just being kind of a weird guy. Like if I sacrificed a ton, right? Like, like for instance, if you saw like Tom Brady and he sacrificed everything for the game of football, well, if I started doing that, that would be crazy, right? Like if I started like working out all the time and I'm like walking around with like eye black on for no reason and I'm like, yeah, man, got to hit the field. And then you like try and offer me a strawberry and I'm like, sorry, man, my diet will not allow it. I'm very serious. I got to do it all. Lay it down for the game. If my wife has to leave me because I love the game too much, if I have to like retire and then like I retire and they're like, sorry you weren't on a team and I'm like I know I'm announcing my retirement and then a few weeks later I'm like guys I'm back and they're like nobody asked for this like you guys would think that I am crazy right and I would just be like no man I gotta sacrifice it all for the love of football I love football that much and so I'm sacrificing everything that's craziness right that's not a real sacrifice and no one is actually asking me to do that in fact you guys would probably start calling someone trying to get me to stop The point is that sacrifice is not about, you know, necessarily even being good at something like I'm talking about there, but it's about giving up something you love for something that you love more. Great athletes give up something that they love, which is, you know, time and energy. They give up so much for the love of the game. Great parents give up so much for the love of their children. Great soup artisans give up so much for their soup. That's for the Seinfeld fans in the room. Come on, I know nobody really gets it. This is what sacrifice is, and this is what we're talking about today. This entire passage is hinging on the idea of sacrifice. I want you to take a look at the things that Jesus says that you're going to sacrifice. We're going to walk through basically the whole thing. Verse 34, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. We must sacrifice our own comfort and peace. That probably makes you a little bit uncomfortable, right? Jesus didn't come to make us feel good. He came to restore the world in a nonviolent but decidedly divisive way. Verse 35, For I have come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Daughters hating their mother-in-law is not much of a sacrifice, am I right? (laughs) Sorry. Uh, No, we sacrifice even peace at home, Jesus is saying. The sword that he brings is going to affect even our homes. A person's enemies will be those of his own household. This is verse 36. And so far, he's saying that the sacrifice would just be that you would be against each other, right? Like that would be the worst that would come from all of this. Verse 37, he takes it a step further and he says, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Wow. 
There's a heart check moment for you. Do you love Jesus more than your mom or your dad? Do you love Jesus more than your son or your daughter? Let's skip down to verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. I'm not going to be able to uh, spend as much time on this as I want to. Uh, but basically, the way that you ought to look at this is you can exchange the word receive with shows biblical hospitality, or gospitality, if you like. I just invented that one. I don't know. The smile and the scrunched noses are telling me that's not good, but I like it a lot. Both in Christian and Hebrew circles, hospitality is a vitally important part of the faith. In fact, one of the earliest stories that you can find uh, in Scripture actually comes from Genesis 18, where basically the moral of that story is that you should treat every single person who comes to your door as if they are a messenger from God because they just might be. You can look that up later. From the very beginning of the faith, hospitality was a crucial part of living it out. It was actually a distinctive among even the religions of the time and even, I would argue, to this day. So this receiving, then, is less just saying hello to them. It's like, it's not just saying like, oh, okay, I receive you, that is good. No, it's instead welcoming them in. It's giving them care, opening up your home, serving them the best you can. And that's why it is a true sacrifice. Because back then, to receive someone and to show them biblical hospitality really well was a painful thing. You were giving up something you love, a.k.a. part of your house, part of your food, uh, a lot of your time, your energy. You're giving up a lot to be able to welcome this other person in. They weren't like us, you know, with like full fridges and a Costco down the street to just say, hey, I can go do this. Instead, they probably, most people, lived with just barely enough to sort of have what you have for today. They didn't have refrigerators. They couldn't save anything. I mean, it was like a very, very difficult thing to have just like exceedingly amounts of extra. And so when someone came into your home and you actually received them, it cost you something. You had to sacrifice something that you loved for something that you loved more, which is welcoming them into your home. Now, at first glance, uh, you ask, probably, what can we be doing to care for the prophets and the righteous and the disciples in our day? And you might think immediately of like, well, if there's like an overseas missionary or something, maybe I'll let them stay in my house. And you probably should do that. I think that would be an excellent way to live this out. But I think it's even something deeper. I think it's something that tells us that we should be showing radical hospitality, radical biblical hospitality to each other as followers of Jesus and to members of the family of God, the kingdom of God, all across the planet. Now, I believe that this radical hospitality, we talk about it a lot, and I believe it is a great pathway for people who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus, and I think that's the way that I primarily think about it, right? I think, like, man, I need to turn my home and my life and whatever welcome and hospitality I can possibly muster as a tool for sharing the kingdom of God, and you should 100% do that. But I believe what Jesus is saying here takes it a step further and says that's not just a tool for outsiders to be welcomed in, but it is also a tool for insiders to be shown actual hospitality. Jesus here is saying, hey, you should show this to righteous people. And when you receive them, when you welcome them in, when you show hospitality to them, then you will receive their reward. 
Now, I don't want us to get too, too hung up on this reward talk, right? I don't think Jesus here is saying that if you, like, you know, give a missionary a cup of cold water that you'll get, like, some sort of extra reward in heaven. I think instead what he is saying is that if you welcome these people in, and not just welcome them as people, but also welcome in what they are saying, if you receive them fully and completely in the same way that you would welcome in Jesus, right? To welcome in Jesus is to hear his good news and to accept his good news and to begin to follow him. He is saying that what you will receive is the same reward that Jesus offers to all of his followers, which is to be with him in eternity, to have heaven as your reward. And all of it comes from sacrifice, to welcome someone in, to give them that cup of cold water, to invite them into your home, is to sacrifice. And all of that is some pretty serious sacrifice, but today what I want to camp on for the rest of our time is actually, I think, what is the most serious, the kicker of it all in verse 38 and 39. Jesus says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. The thing in this case you are giving up is everything, your entire life, and the thing that you are getting in exchange is Jesus and eternity. Let's think about the weight and the import of what Jesus is saying here. First, he is saying that the sacrifice must be total. This imagery that Jesus uses is not by accident. Jesus doesn't make mistakes like that. And the image of a cross is a strong one, right? You don't take up a cross unless you are ready and prepared to die on it. And think of the heinousness of this image for a moment. We wear crosses on necklaces. We hang them in our homes. It's kind of a strange thing that we would take this instrument of death during Roman times, and it would become a symbol of our faith. Now, I'm not, like, taking that down. I'm not, like, anti-cross or anything like that. I think it's cool that uh, somehow we've taken something that was evil and heinous and terrible and turned it into something beautiful. But this is even before Jesus dies on the cross. And he is saying to his people, hey, if you're not following me, or if you're not taking up your cross, you're not really following me. He is saying that you should carry your own electric chair to be worthy of him. He is saying that you should be prepared to walk the long walk to the lethal injection room if you're going to be following him. You must be ready to die for him if you are going to be worthy of him. Then he goes on further to say that whoever loses their life for his sake will find it. The path to life is actually by losing your own. Jesus is not pulling his punches here. Dying and losing your life are his chosen words for what it means to follow him. I want you to take a second. This is not Josh Cook up here talking. This is not me coming up with these very graphic and intense metaphors. These are straight from the mouth of Jesus. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There is no halfway. Now, obviously, Jesus here is not suggesting suicide. Otherwise, Christianity as a movement of people would have been a pretty short one, right? It would have been over. I'm not sure we would have even heard about it. He is saying that you have to let go of everything, even up to and including your life to be a follower of him. It would be as if we put everything that you had or everything that made you you in this room, and Jesus said to you, do you want to stay here and have all of this, or do you want to have me? In fact, let's actually chase this rabbit just a little bit. I want you to just imagine right now 
Uh, close your eyes if that would help you put on your thinking cap if you're a little bit whimsical. And I want you to just imagine that you're standing right up here on the stage. You're standing right here behind me. And you start putting stuff in this room, right? You put your car somewhere in the back there. I think I could fit my house inside of this room probably, actually. Uh, so go ahead and put that in there if you can do that. Put your hobbies and your passions in here. Maybe you need like some skis or a snowboard or something like that. Maybe you need a tent or some hiking gear. Maybe you need like, you know, board games or a sports team here. Some of you guys, I don't know if you could fit all of your board games in this room, but that's a whole nother thing. You could probably put the whole Broncos organization spread out in this room. Uh, so if that's your thing, put that in there. Don't forget about your plans and your hopes and your dreams. We're going to need those too. So visualize, imagine with me you putting those things in here. Hey, you're putting that future job over here. You're putting that future spouse or future kids, whatever it might be for you, whatever you have in that future dreams. Put them all in here. Put your current job in here. Maybe sit your boss somewhere in the, in the room. You could put the big pile of money that it's supposed to get you. Like, think about all the money that it's supposed to get you, right? Not just right now, not this next paycheck, but, you know, you're in it for the long term and you're plugging into retirement. Go ahead and put all that money in here, however much it is. Drop it in here. You could even make it all pennies and do it like kind of Scrooge McDuck style if you'd like. Uh, I don't know that I'd have enough to swim in, but maybe like a kiddie pool, right? Like, that'd be nice. Now put the people in here that you love. Why don't you just imagine, what if you like sat all of your friends in here? What if you sat everyone that loved you, everyone that you love, put your family in here, put your mom or your dad over there, put your kids in the front row. Now I want you just to, again, just imagine, just visualize, you're looking out over this room, you're standing right here on this stage. It's all right here. And Jesus comes up beside you, he puts his hand on your shoulder and he asks you, well, is it them, is it this, or is it me? And I think if you're following Jesus, what happens now is something kind of strange, that you take his hand, he takes you out the back door, you shut the door, you put a big chain on the door, and you lock it. And in that moment, when you decide if you're actually going to give your entire life, everything that you have or consider yours or even want to have locked up right here in this room, you put it right here in this room, and then you hand him the key. Jesus says, if you're going to be worthy of following me, you must hand me the key. You hand it to him, and at that moment, Jesus owns it all that moment, your life is not your own. You look at Jesus and you think, what's he going to do now? What happens now, Jesus? I've given you all of this. And he unlocks the door, walks you back down the aisle and says, what are we going to do with all this stuff? And you go, well, I would like to keep my job because it makes me good money. And uh, he might say, no, trash it throw it away. Or he might say, keep it, but not for the money. There's a guy that works in your office, and three years from now, he's going to be in your group. He doesn't even maybe work there now, but three years from now, he's going to join your group, and he needs to know about me, and I am putting you in this office, in this job for this purpose. 
Or you go, well, I have this plan, and I'm dreaming about it, and I'm working towards it, and it's to, like, get a spouse, right? Don't you like that, Jesus? You're, like, you know, in favor of marriage, and Jesus is like, nope, my plan for you is to just do online dating forever, right? JK, JK, Jesus is not cruel like that, okay? I don't think he wants that for anyone, but his plan is definitely different from yours, right? When you hand over to Jesus the keys to all of your dreams, you're saying that Jesus has the freedom to change them and for them to be different than what you had expected. You continue looking around the room and you go, Jesus, well, these kids, these kids are really important to me. Jesus says, well, I'm not going to take them away from you, but just know if you love them more than me, you are going to be a worse parent to them. If you put their comfort, development, and well-being over what I am calling you to do and who I am calling you to be, you'll end up doing more harm in their lives than good. And Jesus says, why don't you just let me worry about them? We could go on forever with these kind of hypothetical examples, these kind of made-up visions and dreams, but until you can truly say and believe in your heart in your soul, that your life is not your own. You'll be missing what Jesus has for you until you're actually willing to hand him the key to this room that contains everything that you have, unless you're really willing to hand him the key to every single thing that you have in your life, you'll be missing out on what Jesus has for you. This is what he says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I think we all need to take a moment here. Just seriously ask ourselves the question. You may have asked yourself this 10,000 times in your life. This may be the very first time that you've asked yourself this question. Have I truly given everything that I have and am and wish to be over to Jesus? If you've never come to a place in your life where you're able to say, take it all, then Jesus here is saying you are not worthy of following him. You have not found the life in him. Now, look, it's fine to play at religion, right? It's fine to come to a church like this. It's fine to take part because it's fun and it gives you community. Those are all good things, and they're fine, right? It's fine to even want to be like Jesus. It's fine to choose Christianity because you're like, man, it helps me to live a better life. I like being a better person. But if you've not actually taken your entire life, placed it on a pedestal, and handed it over to Jesus, you are not actually following him. If you haven't come to a place where you say, Jesus, it's not my life but yours. If you haven't come to a place where you say, Lord, I know that I have screwed up. I know that I have sinned. I know I have missed it, sinned against humanity and against you. God, take my life. I am offering it freely and unreservedly to you now. I want to live for you. Then you are missing out. And what's more, if you have not actually come to that place, you'll be missing out on the reward of living life eternally with him. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, you may have gotten to a place where you actually did offer over everything to Jesus. But over the time, over the years, over the months and the weeks, however long it's been for you, sometimes we start taking things back off of that table. You set everything out, and you say, hey, this is Jesus. Jesus, this is completely for you, but over time we start to pick some things back up, saying, oh, I'll just take this one, Jesus. 
The truth of the matter is that you don't know what you're missing when you are holding back. Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I wonder what we're missing out on finding every time we start to take things back up off of that table and say, Jesus, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to manage this. Mark Twain once said, a man who carries a cat by the tail learns something he can learn no other way. You like that one? I don't know if it's PETA-friendly necessarily, but uh, it's an evocative metaphor, right? Think about it. I could describe to you what would happen if you picked up a cat by the tail, right? I could be like, you could pick up a cat by the tail, and that cat's going to freak out. It's going to try and claw you. It's going to, like, bend in weird ways and stuff like that. But you don't truly understand it until you've done it yourself, right? Like, that is not something that you can really wrap your mind around and truly the, like, absurd and insane ways that that cat will move to get out of your grasp uh, until you have actually done it. I could even describe it to you perfectly and still... It wouldn't make any sense, right? Like, until once you experience it, you're like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess you got a broad strokes, but man, it was different than I was expecting, right? And the same is true with the life of following Jesus. At least I found this to be true in my life. Whenever I'm holding on to something and saying, hey, Jesus, this is mine. Don't touch it. This is mine. I got this under control. I don't need you to worry about this one. And then when I finally actually hand it over to him, it is a different experience than someone else could explain to me. Like, have you ever seen those people that are just, like, they're, like, following Jesus hard? They're, like, in the Spirit. They're, like, connected with Jesus. They're, like, diving into the Word, and they know and love God's Word. And they tell you, hey, man, you should really try this thing. Hey, are you really engaging in any silence and solitude in your life? Hey, are you really experiencing the Sabbath in a new and a profound and beautiful way? Hey, are you really, really following Jesus the way that you claim you are? Because this is going to happen. And you hear those people and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's nice, that's nice. Okay, okay, weird guy, you know, like, I don't know if that's for me. Or you hear and you're like, yeah, that would be nice, but I'm not sure if it's worth it. And then you take that extra step to actually explore those things and find out that it's infinitely better than anyone could have ever described to you. That is how my life following Jesus has been. I hate turning sermon into commercial time, but Lent is actually coming up. Lent is actually an opportunity where you can actually give up something that you love so that you can take on something that you love even more. The idea is that we fast from something so that we might feast on Jesus. And this year we are calling our Lent season Refine. This is an opportunity for Jesus to refine us, to shape us more into the people that he needs us to be. Just as gold is tested and proven in a furnace, so we sacrifice in Lent to allow God to teach and to shape and to make us into the people that we need to be. And this is why Lent is so important, because it forces you, or at least invites you, to give up something that you love for something that you love more. You can say that you're addicted to your phone, or I mean, sorry, you can say that you're not addicted to your phone until you give it up and realize just how addicted that you were. Or do you ever give up something like food and realize how uh, much your emotional well-being and state is actually tied to it? Last year, I had one of these picking up the cat by the tail kind of moments. I'm not really sure what led me to doing this. I think it was last year. It might have been the year before. But I gave up buying things, which is a weird thing because I don't, I don't think of myself. I'm not like, let's go shopping, you know, all the time. Uh, I don't think of myself as buying all that much stuff. But I gave up buying anything. Anything other than food, I just did not touch at all. I stopped researching products. I stopped doing the Target run thing. I stopped it all. And I also coupled that with giving something away. 
Every single week of Lent, I would try and give something away. And there were some times when I was like getting to the end of the week, when I'm like literally like driving around town trying to find someone who's experiencing homelessness and giving them like a bag of like uh, toiletries and stuff like that. It was like a really weird experience. And parts of it were like really, really hard. And I realized in that moment, like, man, I had an unhealthy relationship with my stuff. Right? Like, I realized, like, I thought I owned all this stuff. I was getting a lot of joy and satisfaction. Man, when I felt like I got a good deal, I was getting, like, this dopamine rush. Or when you got something, one of those Amazon packages, and you open it up, and you're like, wow, this is mine. I'm finally whole again, only to find out that that's not actually the case. And here's the reason why I share that. One, to hopefully inspire you somewhat to take Lent seriously. You have a week and a half to ask God what he wants you to give up this season. Secondly, because I can sit here and be like, hey, you probably shouldn't have an unhealthy relationship with your stuff. You should probably give up stuff. You probably should give to people that need it. You probably shouldn't buy so much stuff. You probably shouldn't place your self-worth and yourself or your sense of well-being into things. And that's all well and good for me to say it. But you really don't know it until you experience it for yourself. And I bet right now, if each and every one of us were honest with ourselves and honest with God, there is something that we desire more of in our life, and it's not more things. It is more Jesus in some way. You say to yourself, man, I want to be a person that actually prays real, authentic, and honest prayer. I want to be a person that believes in the power of prayer, but I know that I am not right now. You say, I want to be a person that actually trusts Jesus in all things. I want to be a person of generosity. I want to be a person of a deep, abiding life in Scripture. And I'm here to tell you that if it is, uh, it's been true in my life, I believe it can be in yours, that you truly don't know what you're missing as long as you're still holding on to pieces of your life. Use today and this moment as an opportunity to lose more of your life that you might find more of it in Jesus. Use today as an opportunity to take stock of your life, of everything that you are and everything that you have and everything that you do. And I believe if you are able to freely and openly hand it over completely to Jesus, that he's going to do more with it than you could have ever done yourself, that you could ever possibly imagine. And that in losing your life, you might find it. I pray not only for today, but through this entire Lenten season, that God would show us the ways in which we might lose our life and find more life in him. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.